Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is the moon under her feet. This is a reference to the woman clothed with the sun in Revelation chapter 12. And she is said to have the moon under her feet. What does that image suggest? So that's what we'll be looking at tonight. I don't know if you're aware of it, good friends. Uh, but in Swedenborg's works, he talks about June 19th as being a special day. And so this is, you know, the Bible study before June 19th. And often at June 19th, uh, people who read Swedenborg are thinking about the woman clothed with the sun and the book of Revelation and stuff like that. And uh, I happen to be reading that devotionally lately. And so that came to mind. So we'll look at uh, what does that mean to have the moon under her feet? What sort of symbolism is that and what kind of lesson can we get out of that and if you'd like to join me for that journey let's uh, take that together shall we and start with a prayer <laughs> our lord and savior jesus christ you are the one god of heaven and earth we turn to you with our hearts and minds lord seeking truth tell us lord what it is that we need to be doing here what is the nature of your new church? Amen. So, so grateful to be with you, friends, sending love to those of you who are out there online and on the audio and on the phone and here in the room together. It's a blessing to be with you talking about important things. I just, uh, it's always a high point of my week. I, I really enjoy this. Um, so, uh, Swedenborg, let's read our little thing that we read sometimes about what we are here, because that might help us understand. The Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, 1688 to 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit, we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that his words are alive, and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, as we read in John 1, what he says of his words, we believe applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from the life of hell to the life of heaven. So part of that is this idea that scripture has layers of meaning in it. And we've done a number of Bible studies on that in the past. Swedenborg uh, presents this idea of correspondences, that the things that are in the literal meaning of scripture are correspondences to higher things. And so in a story like The Woman Clothed with the Sun, uh, we're invited to look for that sort of imagery. And I tend to think that for a lot of people, you, you th people do think that way, I think. Not everyone, but but that you, th oh, it's got to mean, you know, what is that? Why would it have that detail? Does the Bible just waste your time with meaningless trivia or is there something there? Let's go read about the woman clothed with the sun in Revelation chapter 12. So it's all the way to the right in your Bible. And uh, let's look at these first couple of verses in chapter 12. The image comes right up in, in um, verse 1 there. Revelation chapter 12, verse... Okay, sorry. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, 
and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Mm. On her head, and that's interesting that it says a garland of 12 stars. Uh, the word in the original language in the Old King James is a crown of 12 stars. In the newest, a, a garland, you can see how those things are related, that they would both be encircling your head. And so she's clothed with the sun, which is uh, a strange sort of thing to say, isn't it? And the way the Greek reads there, it is uh, from a Greek root, root peribalo. She's, uh, peri is like our word perimeter. It's what is around or things that are on the periphery are the things that are around the edges. Uh, she's peribiblamenon. She is completely surrounded by the sun. If you approached her from the north or from the west or from the south or from the east, you would encounter the sun because she's entirely... So they picked the word clothed, and that's, that's fine. The, the Greek word means just surround, you know, completely encircled, you might say, uh, by the sun. And the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And then you may remember the story that uh, there's this dragon who wants to attack her. She's having a, a child and everything, and she gets protected in various ways, and her child gets taken up to God. And, um, and then the earth helps her out by swallowing this river that the dragon casts out of its mouth. So the moon under her feet. I uh, have to admit that for some reason, I always, uh, other people I've talked to have pictured it differently. I always pictured this as just like, all, all right, it's a, it's a sign in heaven, so we're in heaven. And uh, the fact that she's clothed with the sun, we're already way, we're not in Kansas anymore, you know, we're, we're way out somewhere and she, we're already in strange land and she's wearing the sun. And so I pictured that the moon under her feet, it's like she's standing there in space or something and the moon is just somewhere beneath her feet, you know, it, it's down there somewhere. Uh, but other people have told me they picture her standing on the moon or that at least her feet are touching the moon. And so I got interested in this. And the beauty of Scripture is that um, this is not the only passage. Sometimes there are words that there's only one occurrence in all of Scripture. But this isn't one. We have a few moons. We have a few feet in there that we can look at and try to figure out what it's talking about. So I just want to read a couple of passages on the moon. I'd like to start in the middle with Psalm 89 because I think this is perhaps the clearest statement about the moon in terms of its meaning, the way Swedenborg describes it. And it's all about uh, the Lord's covenant. Let's start at verse 34 there and read the next few verses, down to 37. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Mm, so you get the context there. The Lord is just assuring us. His covenant is absolutely sound. It's everlasting. He's not going to break his covenant. He's not going to change the thing that's gone out of his lips. And it's interesting from the standpoint that there's a whole school of thought about Christianity that he gave the Ten Commandments at one time, but then he said, you, you know, that's annulled now. We don't have to follow those. And yet here he's saying, I'm not going to break my covenant. What I say is not going to change. Go on. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His mm. seed shall endure forever, 
and his throne as the sun before me. Okay, his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun. So the sun is this image of just everlasting. His throne will be like the sun and what does it say in the next one? It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. A faithful witness in the sky, in the old King James, a faithful witness in heaven. Heaven and the sky are often the same word in the original languages. It will be established forever like the moon. Is that what your translation reads? Established forever, and then read that last bit again. Even like the faithful witness in the sky. Yes, now this is interesting because it compares the moon to a faithful witness. A faithful witness. And... um, uh, so, I want you to file that in your mind, and let's go to Hebrews in the New Testament. So, back where you were in Revelation at the right-hand end, if you go to the left, you'll get to Hebrews pretty soon, and I want to go to 11 verse 1, which is this famous definition of faith, because it brought up faith there, didn't it? A faithful witness. A faithful witness, established forever as the moon. So, there's something everlasting and permanent about what the moon means and there's a faithful witness in the sky or in heaven. And look at Hebrews 11, verse 1, because it gives us some idea of what faith is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, Mm. the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, it's a great, great definition of what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for. So there are two things in here. There's, There's the substance of what you hope for. You hope for salvation, you hope for love, you hope for increased insight or whatever. And faith is the substance of that. And what was that second bit again, dear reader? The evidence of things not seen. Mm. Now, would you say, dear reader, again, don't wish to put you on the spot, but would you say that faith is convincing your mind to think things that make no sense? Yeah. I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I often get the wrong it's, 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 it's often taken that way. <laughs> Trick question. So ask no. the question again. Okay. <laughs> Is faith convincing yourself to think things that make no sense? That make no sense. Um, Talking yourself into something that yeah. really makes no sense to you. I think that's the way it's widely like, taken in the world. You know, but this didn't say to think, to convince yourself to think something that makes no sense. It said evidence of something you don't see. It's different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like the evidence of something you don't see is something that is there. Like if you saw tracks out in the yard, you'd say, oh, well, some animal was here. I don't see the animal, but I see evidence of an animal that I don't see. And that would be evidence of a real animal. It wouldn't be like, imagine a unicorn or something. You know what I mean? The, the, this definition of faith is about evidence of things not seen. And these are things hoped for, uh, but evidence of things not seen. And that's compared, so that's faith. And the moon is this faithful witness. This faithful witness. And when you think about the moon, what is it a witness of? When you see that, it's a, that's it, the sun. It's a witness of the sun. 
If the sun is down and you see the moon in the sky, the moon will not only tell you whether it can see the sun or not, and it usually has a pretty good view of the sun, unless there's an eclipse going on or something, it'll also tell you where the sun is. Because if it's this way or that way, you know, you can look at where the light is and figure, well, I can't see it, but it's pointing right over here. It's evidence of things not seen. I can't see the sun, but I know it must still exist. It hasn't blown up because I'm seeing light coming off the moon up there and it's reflecting to me. Now, does the moon have its own light? Does it generate, you know, it looks all light in the sky. Does it generate light? Is there a fire inside it or anything? Like that? It's a big rock just reflecting stuff from the sun. That's right. So it's an evidence of something not seen, and it's a reflection of something that's coming in. Okay. In my defense. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting good. All right, go. <laughs> um, the question. Okay, so I'm telling my mind to believe something, okay, not that doesn't make sense, but that I don't understand. That could be true, that I don't fully understand. Well, you raise a very interesting point, dear reader, uh, <laughs> that um, with uh, Swedenborg actually likes to, he says that there's some relationship, uh, you may have seen him use the phrase, the truth of faith, and he has some, he sees that there needs to be a relationship between truth and faith and that things need to make sense in order for you to really believe them. So the, yes, in common parlance, the way people talk about it, it's like, okay, I'll have to, I wasn't there, I didn't see it, I'll have to take your word for it, or something like that. I'll take it on faith. But with something like religion, it, we're, Swedenborg says that no angel would take something on somebody else's say-so. It would have to make sense to them. They've got to see the truth of it before they would believe it. This is so foreign to our idea of, of faith. This is not the way our world thinks about faith. But it's very interesting that Swedenborg said, no, faith is just a seeing. Like when you see that moon, it gives you a lot of confidence that the sun exists and you know where the sun is and everything about it because it's bouncing right off that moon. It's interesting, isn't it, that the moon goes through these cycles of waxing and waning. So Sometimes, depending on where the sun is, there's hardly any light off of it. And sometimes it's blasting light and really bright at night and everything. And um, so, uh, but the moon in Scripture is also of two different kinds. There are two kinds of moons. Now, let's see if I can demonstrate that to you with two contiguous verses. Do you think I can do it? Two contiguous, meaning back to back. Okay, let's have a look. Isaiah, let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 60. So turn to the right if you're in the Psalms there and go to Isaiah. See, so many things. Swedenborg points this out, and I used to just say, okay, I'll have to take your word for it. But as I read Scripture, it's really true that so many things, so much of this imagery in Scripture has a positive version and a negative version. Positive version, negative version. So there's a good sun, there's a good moon, there's a bad sun and a bad moon, in effect. I mean, Scripture doesn't say that right out loud, but look at what it says here. This is some uh, beautiful, uh, look at, let's pick up at verse 18, because it's all about this future prediction. It, look at verse 17. The Lord says he's going to turn our bronze into gold and make everything good. So let's, this is a wonderful prediction about the future, okay? 
at 17. Let's just start there. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. <clears throat> so you see we've got some sort of ladder here of substances. And the idea is that whatever substance you're dealing with, the Lord's going to make it two steps better. The bronze will go all the way up to a gold. The iron, which is below bronze, will go up to a silver. And then the wood will go up to the bronze. And then the stones will go up to the iron, right? So he's going to make, the Lord's going to make everything more precious. Okay, go on. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Aha. Uh -huh. So this is going to be good in the future, right? Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, mm. neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. That would, whatever that means, it sounds good. Right? Your walls are going to be salvation. Your gates are going to be praise. And look at verse 19. The sun shall no longer be your light by day. Wait a minute. I like the sun. The sun's good. The sun won't be the light. The, this is all in the praise and wonderful things that will happen in the future. You won't have a sun anymore? What is it talking about? Go on. Nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. It won't. So the sun and the moon will go away? Well, what will replace them? But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. Oh, so there's something that it's referring to as the sun and the moon, which are something less than the Lord, and they won't be serving you anymore. You need the real thing, which is the Lord and His, His glory, right? And so what did it say? It said the sun won't be your light anymore. Didn't it say that? We just read that. So the sun won't be your light, and the moon won't be the brightness, won't give you light, and all that kind of stuff. And look at verse 20. Contiguous. <laughs> I haven't rested my case yet, but I'm getting there. Go. 20. Your sun shall no longer go down. Wait a minute. You just said my sun won't shine anymore, and now you're saying my sun won't go down. Nor shall your moon withdraw itself. So your moon will not withdraw in the previous verse, it quit and the Lord took over. So what is going on here? Go on. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Mm, nice reading, dear reader. So the, um, now I notice one little difference is, oh, can someone get the door? Thank you. I notice one little difference, don't you? In verse 19, is it the sun and the moon? In verse 20, is it your sun and your moon? It is in verse 20. Oh, is there a difference between the sun and the moon and your sun and your moon? Seems like there must be because the sun is out of here. It won't be giving you light. That's not where you're going to get your light. And the moon won't be giving you light. The Lord will be your light. But your sun will never set. I think that's amazing. Have those two back to back, right? Don't you think so? I mean, it's just amazing. No wonder some people tear their hair out reading scripture. But, uh, so, and, and it's why we need to keep awake while we read. It's one of the challenges. You know, I don't know, for years and years, it sort of it drones and washes over your head like warm water and, and you, you go to sleep and you wait a minute, you just totally contradicted yourself. Um, 
So your sun will no longer go down, neither will your moon withdraw itself. And then it gives what? What explanation for that, dear reader, in the second half of verse 20 that you already read? For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Yeah, and the previous one has said the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. It's the same explanation. The Lord is going to be your light, and in one case it'll replace your sun and your, the sun and the moon, and in the other one, your sun and your moon will never be extinguished. So, uh, that's not quite enough evidence to rest my case, but I think it does make the case that the sun is being used in two different ways, or there's a difference between the sun and your sun, because one of them's not going to shine, the other one is. And uh, same with the moon. And uh, what Swedenborg says that the sun means here, the sun has its own, not only light, but heat, like it, the, the sun is a source of heat, it's a ball of fire, uh, the moon is only reflected that beautiful pale blue light that you get, it's not hot, you, you never, whoa, the moon is killing me today, you know, it's not, you never have a moon heat wave or something, uh, the, it's a cool light from the moon, uh, but the heat of the sun Swedenborg says that the sun means love and the moon means truth or things that have to do with that. The sun is love and the moon is faith. It's a faithful witness. It's evidence of things not seen. And so what that right there is quite an astonishing statement, I think, because um, uh, let me try to unpack this a little bit. Um, when people find out, oh, oh, so-and-so joined the Baha'i faith, uh, generally the first question is, oh, what do they believe? Like, things are so truth-based and faith-based and teaching-based. What are your te Oh, are your teachings different than these teachings? What do you teach? What do you think this means? What, what's your explanation of this? You know, it, we're so oriented toward, um, uh, toward truth and faith and doctrine and things like that as being the defining thing, the thing that defines your religion. People think, you know, Swedenborg makes this amazing statement. If I remember correctly, it is in Divine Providence, section 101, which always struck me because it seemed like, hey, this is Divine Providence 101. You know, and what it says is that after we die, no one asks what religion we belong to. It's not even on the final. All this fuss and bother about, oh, well, I was a, mm, and I'm practicing this. Well, I lapsed as a this, and I, you know, it's not even on the final. The only question is, what sort of person were you? How did you treat other people? And from that, they gather what your faith was, really was, not what you told yourself, not what you told other people, but what is it really? Because the only way to really see it, your faith is only the moon. It's only the reflected light of the love that's in your heart. And asking you what faith you're in is just a waste of time. In the spiritual world, so divine providence 101. Nobody's, it's not even on the final. 
And yet we play, we, we think about that kind of stuff a lot and we care a lot, of, oh, I'm a this, oh, you're a that, and all this stuff, you know? And yet it's not even on the final. Uh, what Swedenborg says instead fits with this sun and moon thing, that faith is only a pale reflection of love. Another thing he says that's quite astonishing is he's, you know, we're all just thinking, oh, well, you know, right-thinking people approach it this way because God, you know, agrees with this and God disagrees with that and all that, you know, it's all about the truth and the thought and the mental structure and all that kind of stuff. Swedenborg says, and he has to hammer it again and again, uh, the Lord is only present in love. And he's only present in truth if that truth happens to be hanging around with love. Truth by itself, he, he's, he's not a truth kind of guy. Uh, I know that he was the embodiment of divine truth, but what that truth is, is it's all about the love. That's what the truth is that he embodied. It's all about the love. It's all about saving people. It's all about making life better for everybody as much as possible. And uh, it's an astonishing statement, but you see it in that image of the sun and the moon, don't you? The sun is real. It has real heat, real light. The moon is just a, a dead rock ball that just shines that light. Uh, so if we don't have love, as, uh, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, uh, you know, we're nothing. Like, uh, it's the most important thing. Your truth and your faith and all those other things are not as important as the state of your heart and your love and the way that you treat other people. Uh, that is what angels use to tell whether you are a spiritual person, what it, you know, are you a good person, and so on. That, that's what's on the final. And so, what the bad son means is a bad kind of love. It's self-love. And you can see that, you know, I sort of think it might even be better if it had been a black hole, but I guess they didn't know about black holes yet that suck everything in. But the, but the son, the bad kind of son is this self-love. It's the reigning thing. You know, everything is about yourself. And uh, the bad kind of moon is believing that faith and intelligence come from yourself. Self-centered, you know, I made up my own belief. This is what I believe. This is my intelligence, my understanding. And they just come from yourselves. That's the bad kind of moon and the bad kind of sun. So let's look at that again. Isaiah 60, verse 19. So you read that again. The sun shall no longer be your light by day. You will not be following self-love into the breach. That is not going to be what instructs your path in life. Your path will not be a path of self-love. I know what to do in this situation. Self-love dictates that I do this. I know what to do in that situation. Self-love dictates that I do that. You know, that's not going to be where it's coming from. That's not going to be the source of your light. And what's the next one? Nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. Yes, the moon, which is your own, is my understanding. I came up with it myself and I'm very proud of it. You know, uh, that is not going to be your light anymore. That's not going to show you the way either. It's, uh, what's in verse 20? 
But the Lord will be to you. Oh, sorry, yes. 20. That's right. Well, the Lord will be your everlasting light, right. and your God, your glory. That's right. Then 20, your son shall no longer go down. Yes, this is love in your heart from the Lord. This is the good kind of love that the Lord puts in your heart and makes yours. It's your son will no more go down and... Nor shall your moon withdraw itself. Yes, your faith will not be extinguished. It won't blink in and out, you know, on a cycle or, or whatever. Uh, the, the, it will be steady because the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of this grief this morning will be over. All the pain and madness that self-love and your own clever understanding or whatever generated for you. And that's why it says in the next verse that your, your people shall all be righteous. They'll inherit the land forever and so on. And so that the Lord can be glorified. That, that's the point of all that. So that's remarkable to think about faith that way. It's almost hard to grasp in a way, I think. But, but to think about faith and our understanding as only secondary to love. And yet the whole thing, the sun and the moon, there's sort of an emphasis there that the sun and moon need to take a backseat. Even though the sun is the greatest thing ever, it needs to take a backseat to the Lord. There's something more important than the sun, and that's the Lord. Let's see if I can find some passages along those lines. Oh, let's look at Psalm 22. So turn to the left. No, 72. I mean, 72. And a Psalm 72. This comes out quite differently in the New King James and the Old King James. I think I kind of like the New King James on this one. Psalm 72. Verses 5 to 7. Here we go again. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. Okay, so hopefully that's like the sun and the moon will endure, you know, to eternity throughout all generations. They'll fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure. Go on. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth. Mm, so the Lord will rain down this truth on us. And look at verse 7. In his days the righteous shall flourish, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. Now it's very beautiful. Abundance of peace until the moon is no more. And yet we were told just two verses ago that it would never end. And now the moon is ending, two verses later. What is going on, you know? Well, uh, Swedenborg explains, now in the old King James, it says abundance of peace so, so long as the moon endureth. I think the translators couldn't handle what the original said. And they said, well, it's got to mean as long as the moon is still going. But the, the, I think in this case, the new King James uh, got to the original a little more clearly and said abundance of peace until the moon is no more. And Swedenborg explains that that's a state in which faith, he says there are these very, very high angels in heaven who don't even talk or think in terms of faith. It's not about debating. These angels say, if you say to them, well, don't you need to have faith? They say to you, well, it's like saying you should have faith that there's a building around us now. And they say, I don't need to have faith that there's a building around us. I can see that there's a building around us, you know, the moon, you don't even need the moon anymore. If the sun is always shining, you don't need the moon to remind you. If you're not even going into night, 
You don't need the moon to remind you. Oh, by the way, cheer up. There's a sun that's coming eventually. You know, if you can see the sun all the time, which these higher angels do in their heaven, uh, abundance of peace until the moon is no more. So much peace that faith is not even a thing anymore. You don't even have to talk about it or think about it anymore. It's all about, it's all about the love. It's all about peace. Very beautiful and very striking, isn't it? Okay, okay, let's do, let's, let's talk about feet now, shall we? And uh, there are some other passages. Maybe I should bring this in. Let's see. Do I have some? Okay, uh, let's look at Revelation 21. That'd be good at the end of your Bible. I just want to do one more along this line, but there's a lot of these. If you look actually about the sun and the moon, if you look up sun and moon, there's a lot in Scripture about how bad it is that people worship the sun and the moon comes up again and again and again. Oh, those bad people, they worship the sun, they worship the moon. You know, there's lots of bad suns and moons in, in Scripture, uh, meaning that self-love and that pride of your own intelligence. And um, here's an interesting one in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. And this is this holy city, New Jerusalem, come down from God out of heaven. And what does John see there? But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Go on. The city had no need of the sun oh. hmm. or of the moon to shine in it, hmm. for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Yes, the city had no need of the sun or the moon. Now, doesn't that mean that bad kind of sun and the bad kind of moon? Like it's not, okay, I need self-love to drive me through this. I need my own understanding to get me through. No, we're getting that from the Lord. The glory of God lightens it. The Lamb is the light of it. And it mentions in the very next verse, the nations of those which are saved shall walk in the light of it. So we're in the context of salvation. And again, there's this sense of like, sun and the moon are fine. They can be negative sometimes. They can be good. But in any case... They play second fiddle, so to speak, to the Lord. You know, they're, they're secondary to, even the sun is secondary to the Lord. Okay, now, let's read some passages about under feet. Let's start at the beginning of your Bible in Genesis 3, verse 15. This may not seem relevant. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is about the serpent. This is the cursing of the serpent. And what does the Lord say? And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Oh, he shall bruise your head, whoever this he is. And Christians for centuries have taken this to mean it's a prophecy of the Messiah, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, first prophecy. He will bruise your head. This is the serpent. The Lord will bruise the serpent's head, and you, the serpent, will bruise his heel. So where, where is the serpent going to be? Under the feet. That's right. It'll be under the, the serpent will be under the feet. Isn't it interesting, I've uh, marveled at this before, that the idea is not that the Lord is going to crush the serpent's head and kill it. Just going to bruise it. There'll be mutual bruising going on there. But it'll be that the Lord is in charge. And the serpent is under control under his feet. 
It's under his feet. Okay, let's uh, look at Exodus chapter 24. Mm. I find this fun. Chapter 24. Now, these elders go up on the mountain. This is about the time the Ten Commandments have just been given. And these elders of Israel go up on the mountain. And look at this little vision that they have. These 70 elders uh, in verse 10. Exodus 24, verse 10. They see the God of Israel. They have this vision of God. And how does he appear? And they saw the God of Israel... And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Okay, so the Lord, this God, has under his feet this paved work of sapphire stone. An interesting image of the Lord. And this is under his feet. Something very beautiful under his feet. So... Don't know exactly how it relates to the woman clothed with the sun, but we're trying to get an idea of how Scripture... We've got an idea of how Scripture uses the term moon quite quickly. Now we're trying to get a quick view on what it means by under the feet. Okay, turn to the right and go to 2 Samuel, if you will. Let's go to 2 Samuel 22. Let's go to 2 Samuel 22, verse 10. This is a powerful image uh, of the Lord coming down. It's like God coming down into the physical world. And what does it say in 22 verse 10? He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. Oh, darkness was under his feet. So the last time we saw something under God's feet, it was something beautiful, this sapphire stone, this gorgeous sort of paved area of sapphire stone. But this time it's darkness under his feet. Interesting. Darkness. So let's just file these in our minds and see if any clarity comes. Uh, let's go to uh, 1 Kings 5. So just turn to the right and you'll get to 1 Kings. Let's go to 5, um, mm, verse 3. This is Solomon, and he's talking about his father David. Let's, what do we read in 5, verse 3? You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side. Wow, he couldn't build this house of God. David had wanted to build a temple to the Lord. Couldn't do it. It fell to his son Solomon. And so they're having a conversation about how David could not do it because there was so much war going on until what? Until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. Oh, interesting. So what does that mean? That's like a, that's like the serpent, isn't it? Control, domination, right? You've won, you conquered the enemy. You're, the, the enemies are under the soles of his feet. Mm, okay, now turn to the right and let's go to Psalm 8 in the middle of your Bible there. There's another one. Now, some of these things are negative, aren't they? Like the serpent or the enemies, so that then under the feet, if you have the serpent and the enemies or darkness under your feet, isn't it like the Lord will control that? He'll tame it. But look at Psalm 8. Um, I really think we have to read the whole thing because it's so beautiful. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. 
Mm. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Mm. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and what might that be? The moon and the stars which you have ordained. Mm. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Mm. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Okay, so we had something about the moon and the stars, considering the heavens, the moon and the stars, all these things that the Lord has made. And then what is in verse 6? You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Under his feet. Dominion. Right? Made him dominion over the works of your hands. You'll put all things under his feet. What does that mean? Under his control, doesn't it? Under his dominion, like these are things that you control. They're subservient to you. Now, these are not negative. Look at verse 7 and 8 there. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Mm. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Yes, beautiful about that divine quality coming all the way down. And by the way, a Swedenborgian reading of all these things, the sheep and the oxen are good emotions. Even the beasts of the field uh, are other kinds of emotions. Like there's the, what wisdom in us is able to rule over these things, uh, the, our emotions the thoughts meant by the birds of the air, the fish of the seas that pass through the paths of the seas. I just love that imagery. And so under the feet means not sort of like my vague image of the woman clothed with the sun where the moon is just sort of floating around down there, but it's, it's subservient and controlling, isn't it? Like it's, a, you know, you've got this under control. That put all things under his feet. Okay, Psalm 47. Verses 2 and 3. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. That's right. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. What is that? Control. Domination. Right? I mean, it's not in a bad sense, but it's just like conquest or something that, that, that that'll be uh, subordinated. Um, okay. Let's go through Isaiah to Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 8. Oh, actually, look at verse 2 here. We'll just read that real quickly. But this is a bad thing that people are doing at this time in Israel. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked, which they have sought and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Yeah, these are the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. Spread them all before the sun and the moon. Very negative passage about the sun and the moon. Like that's bad, right? Worshipping them and serving them and everything. Supposed to be worshipping and serving the Lord. Okay. And uh, I don't know, let's go to the very end. Let's, if you go to Matthew and then back up to Malachi, let's look at Malachi 4, verse 3 for just one more example of this kind of thing. Uh, Malachi 4, verse 3 is a beautiful passage about the day coming. 
Uh, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth. And what will you do in verse 3? You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Interesting. So the feet again, right? You see what I'm saying? When you read, you look at these comparison of passages, and you see the feet, this is a, an image of, you know, that's, that's secondary, and it's under the control of something higher. That's what under the feet seems to mean all through here. Okay, all right, okay, all right. Now, um, so what I gather out of that is that under the feet, if what is under the feet is something wicked, like a serpent or darkness or something, then under the feet means that that's under control. If it's something good, it just means that it's subservient. Right, like the beasts of the field and the birds of the air that, that uh, human beings uh, control in this image. It's all, all in the image of the correspondences. Uh, so, my friends, uh, let's think about it. Okay, let's have a visual, shall we? A very poor visual, I might add. It's ridiculous to try to draw the woman clothed with the sun, but uh, there she is. Uh, for those of you not getting the video, uh, you're not missing much, but uh, <laughs> there's a woman there with the, with the big orange sort of sun, and she's completely surrounded by the sun. I'm trying to get across that idea. If you came to her from the west or the north, the south, the east, whichever direction you came from, above or below, the sun is what you encounter. She is completely clothed with the sun. She has a crown of 12 stars on her head, and the moon is under her feet. And I tried to represent the fact that the light coming from the sun is lighting up the top part of the moon. But the moon is very secondary and the feet, you know, is this image of it's subservient, right? I don't think the moon, I don't think this is a bad moon. I don't think she has a bad moon under her feet. I think she's got a good moon down there because she's wearing the sun. So I think it's a good sun, a good moon. So I think this sun means love of the Lord. I think this moon means faith from the Lord, in the Lord. And this is, you know, true teachings and so on. The star image is also that you have knowledge of what is good and true, and that steers you. That's why that's a crown or a garland around the head and so on. Um, okay. Uh, what this says to me, this image, is that in this, the way Swedenborg reads this is that the, this woman clothed with the sun is a prediction about this future, what I call Christianity version 2.0. It's this uh, thing that is going to happen. And the picture of it, look at the relationship between love and faith in that image, if you can see that. Which is more important to the new church? Is it teachings? Where are the teachings? Under her feet. Where's the love? She's just surrounded by it. Completely surrounded by love. And the teachings and the truth are a distant second there underneath her feet. This is not the way it's been done. Like maybe that was the case in early Christianity. There was more love and so forth. But there's a lot of what doesn't pass for love in the name of religion, and Christianity's not, you know, the only one that's having a love problem sometimes. 
uh, you know, teachings become so important and somehow the love goes out the window and the love's not important. So one thing I think that image is of is of love being absolutely primary to the point where she's completely surrounded by it. What does that mean? If she represents this new church, whatever form this takes, you, uh, as you approach this thing, doesn't matter if you come from ignorance meaning the north or you come from all this knowledge from the south, doesn't matter if you come from you know, not knowing much about love or having much love in your life from the west, doesn't matter if you come from a whole bunch of love in the east, you just, it's love is what you encounter. It's this burning love. That's what she's all about. And that, by the way, makes her a good companion for the Lord, who happens to look very similar. I would say, you know, like the role of love and truth in the Lord is similar, right? All about the love and the truth is merely secondary. There's an angel in the book of Revelation, as you may remember a little later on in the story, there's an angel standing in the sun, it says. You know, and Swedenborg says that's another image of the Lord, just right in the sun. You know, you're just in, in the sun, and that's what radiates out. She's guided by uh, these stars, but the whole category of faith and truth is something by which she lives. Uh, what does it say in Scripture? It says it in Habakkuk, repeats it in the epistles, the just shall live by faith. The feet have to do with walking, the way you live your life, the way you live your external life. She is she's deploying truth, deploying faith in the way that she lives her life. The moon is under her feet. This is the way that she, she's living by faith, uh, but it's all about the love. Let's read. Now, are you still in Malachi, good friends? No? Yeah. Are we? Let's go to the left to Zechariah chapter 2, because an image came to mind along these lines. Zechariah chapter 2 is just the one before Malachi. And let's just read this vision that Zechariah has. Zechariah is full of these visions. Again, visions of the distant future for the spiritual life of the human race. And what do we read here? Starting at the top? Yes. Okay. First of all, I just realized I did not have my mic on until just now. I see. I hope okay. All, I hope all is well. All right. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Okay. Zechariah 2. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Mm. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. Yes, and the length has to do with love and the width has to do with truth. Like I'm trying to see how much love does it have, how much truth does it have. And Jerusalem means the church, you know, just people who are responding to the Lord on earth. Go on. And there was the angel who talked with me going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. Mm. For so it will be, Jerusalem's always been a walled city, you know, from the beginning. 
So now you're saying Jerusalem won't have walls. This mm. will be in some future time. No walls. Uh, how, how, how is that going to work? For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. I will be a sun all around her, and I will be the truth under her feet. I will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Doesn't matter if you come from the north. Doesn't come if you ma matter if you come from the south. Doesn't matter if you come from the east. Doesn't matter if you come from the west. What you encounter is love. This burning, radiating love. We're dealing with the sun here. This is not moon religion. This is sun religion. You see what I mean? You know, this is love of the Lord religion. And uh, that's what you encounter. A wall of fire all around her. No walls. No wall. Walls have to do with truth, stones, hard things. No. It's a wall of fire all around her. I, and the Lord says, He's going to be that. He's, he's, the, he's the son of the spiritual world. I will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. The glory has to do with that, that light. So the, the light's in the center there. If you bother to come through all that love and everything and you really knock yourself out, you might eventually get to the center there. And, oh, you might see some good truth, too. That's great. That's wonderful. But the love is what, is what you encounter. That's, that's, um, that's what I think the um, woman clothed with the sun is all about. And um, so it's the Lord's love. The woman shares in the Lord's love which is a love for the salvation of the whole human race. That's what that shining sun is. That's what that burning fire is, is a desire. Now, that can sound obnoxious, like someone's trying to save you at a train station or something like that. Uh, I don't think that's what it's talking about. But what motivates uh, this is this love, this shared love received from the Lord. I'll be a wall of fire all around her because she's been receptive to the Lord's love, this desire to save the whole human race. Let's participate in this. We need all hands on deck. Let's, let's do this. <clears throat> and so she radiates that love, that desire to help, and the light that comes from that. And secondarily, down there on the lowest level of the feet where you're doing the action, yeah, truth, I'm not trying to knock it. It's just a striking image of the love being more important. It's more important that it's not about, hey, what, what's your teachings or what's an idea? Give me an idea. It's not about the idea. It's really about the love and the light that comes out of that. That's what it is. Um, uh, so, um, I don't think that I have necessarily succeeded, but it might be above my pay grade to judge. But something that I wanted to do tonight was to try to build this sort of round object of logic and argumentation. This equals the moon, that equals under the feet. This is the good kind of moon, that's the bad kind of moon. This is what under the feet means in this passage when it's something wicked. This is what it means. All of that is of the moon. But what I hope this has led to is that it's lifted our eyes and minds to the love 
that, that is surrounding the Lord. So no matter what, it's just inescapable. This, this, is, the, um, uh, this is the real characteristic of what we're talking about. It's not about the teachings. It's all about the love. It's about being open to receiving that love from the Lord, transmitting it to other people. So we have this truth structure and everything, but just understand that's not at the level of the feet. That's below the level of the feet. What's important is the love. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the divine love and the divine truth that radiates from that. Thank you, Lord, for this haunting image of the woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet. As we pray on this and meditate on this during the coming week, help us to understand your message, Lord. Open up your word to us and your truth. Let us glimpse that wall of fire. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. We might get some new clothes.